listening to WBCALP. 102.9 FM Boston. Boston's community radio station. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Welcome to the premiere, the first broadcast and podcast of Black Teachers Matter here on WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston's community radio station. I'm your producer and host, Sharon Eaton-Hinton, mother of a BPS graduate, former BPS student, educator of over 40 years in various levels of academia, and executive director of Black Teachers Matter. Black Teachers Matter podcast and radio will be coming to you every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Welcome and thank you for tuning in, and please welcome my esteemed guests for the next 20 minutes, staunch advocate for the Latinx and Black communities, indeed all of the city of Boston, my friend and elected representative, at-large city councilor Julia Mejia. Welcome, mi hermana. Hola. Wow. I am so, like, in <laughs> awe of your radio and TV voice. My you sexy are, voice. Girl, <laughs> let me find out. You got the skill that you've been denying us of for so long. Well, I've seen you because I remember being on your show That's even right. before I was an elected official. But there's something about having you in my ears and this headphone that changes everything for me. So... Yes, I'm super excited. And to be I'm here with super you today. excited. And you're in my first broadcast podcast. My first. I'm your first guest. You are my first. I'm not even going to go there, what I was just thinking about. But you know, there's something special. This will be um, rebroadcast and podcast. And I haven't had you on my other TV show for since the pandemic. Yeah. But I've known you for a long period of time. I met you. Um, Many years ago, advocating for educational equity in front of the bowling building. And you called me out and and introduced yourself in person. And and, um, you said, Sharon. And I looked around. You said, it's me, Julia. And I looked around. You said, Facebook. And I was like, oh. And we were both up there with picket signs. And we were advocating for educational equity. And the question then was about charter schools and the expansion of charter schools. And so we were like-minded on Facebook and social media. And then... How many years ago was that? Seven years? That was seven years? or eight years ago. And let me just tell you that um, I literally grew up in that space around advocacy and education, right? And I believe you and I were opposite ends of what we believed at that moment. Not really. Well, just well, I was working for a charter school at the time. Oh, and you so were? They, I was working for a charter school at the time. But those charter schools are with the ones that are disciplined and high stakes. You know, so we're not going to go. We there, were like minded. No, we no, we were like minded. Okay. We were like minded because we were both um, about educational ed- equity in the community and for our people, and especially for students of color, um, students with special needs, parents. That's and right. you went on to form C Plan. That was way before C Plan was a plan. That's right. And, and then now you're an elected official, and look at you. Wow. And now you're the head of the education committee and at large city council for the second term. Yep. Right, going for your third term. And by the way, um, election is November 7th. And when you hear this, whoever's listening to the sound of my voice, if it ever uh, prompts you to do anything, it's to register to vote and to vote. And you are listening to someone who's my esteemed guest, who I have known for being right on the front lines. When I say on the front lines, it wasn't about getting up in front of the camera or taking photo opportunities. I saw her there with a, I don't even know if you drew that sign yourself. I know I did my sign myself. And you and I were out there. And even though I worked for a charter school at that time, and you were a public school parent, and your beautiful daughter is growing up watching you, the queen, um, be a queen and stepping into your power. And you always talk about people of color and Latinx and Afro-Latina, you're Afro-Latina, right. um, grabbing and holding on to and directing the power. And I've watched you do that. So there's a couple of other things. I was at a hearing a couple of weeks ago. I wanted you to talk about that. And I want you to talk about the upcoming hearing about the O'Brien. Yeah. 
So, you know, for those who may not know my journey, I actually went on the inside because I wanted to see what was behind that veil and why we were not moving our people forward, right? So I walked into City Hall. Um, I went from being on the outside to the in, and I realized that, you know, the, there was not much of anything other than people making decisions for us about us all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been in office for three and a half years. And in the three and a half years, um, I wasn't the chair when I first entered my term, but I became the chair in this past uh, term that I just started in 2020. Of oh, the education committee. Yeah, t- yeah 2022. Um because, you know, education was my ticket out of poverty. You know, I was the first person in my family to graduate high school. My mom did not know how to speak English. I mm. had to learn how to fight for her. My mom never made it beyond the third grade. Wow. Okay. And so I understand what a difference an education made for me, even though I dropped out and I went back, right? I was almost pushing 20 by the time I graduated. Wow. And so as a BPS graduate and now as a BPS parent, um, I understand, and also, as as you mentioned, that I started my own nonprofit with the goal of creating space for all of us to be at the table informing decisions and not just being an afterthought. So the work that I've been doing on the council has been all about that, building political power for people to decide for themselves what they want to see in our schools and in other areas as well. And so I... um, I've hosted a lot of hearings, y'all, that have been spicy. But um, (laughs) the one that Sharon is talking about was uh, a few weeks ago, we hosted a hearing around the hiring and firing and discriminatory practices that happen in Boston Public Schools and the Boston Police Department. Because what I have seen, both as just a regular resident, you know, um, and and also working in the education space, is that a lot of our well-qualified educators of color, um, administrators of color are usually let go without very little um, feedback. And so... Uh, in, in questionable circumstances. And, and exactly, right? Like if, if, you're th- if you're one of those people that you're going to utilize your voice, they're going to try to shut you down because that is Boston politics. Because mm. what they don't like is people talking truth to power. And the minute that you get out of line, they want to let you know that, you know, this is the, this is the end of the road for you. That's just how it is. And so there's some discriminatory practices that are happening within these systems, right? There's some um, police officers who are black and brown who, have been, who haven't managed to go up the ranks because of the, the, the systems that have been put in place, right? So this hearing was designed specifically so, so we can unpack that, mm. so that we can understand what are the protocols, policies, and procedures in place that need to be reevaluated so that we can finally meet the moment. So now what is, because I understand that at the beginning of that hearing, um, there was a truncated appearance by the superintendent and two of her representatives. And so they left. And is there going to be a follow-up to that? Listen, this is the thing about politics. is people show up and you, you get what you get and you don't get upset. And so we were already advised that the superintendent was only going to be able to be with us for 45 minutes. Mm. What we did not know is that when she left, she was going to take her whole entire entourage with her. Because at the very least, the respectful thing to do would have been to leave her, you know, her top aides there to answer and listen to the people. And that did not happen. And they all walked out together. Uh, exactly. So that was a little bit uh, off-putting. And then the other piece of it is, is that, you know, I kept, I'm keeping it in committee because we are going to do a follow-up. There's just no way that one hearing is going to get it all because for me it's about the solutions. What we did at that at the um, previous heating, hearing was to get things on the record so that we could define what are some of the issues and, and have them vocalized out loud because you can't deny what you've heard. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially when people are bringing their voices into the space. So that was the hearing that really got a lot of things on the record in regards to BPS and then some ideas that people were able to present. And then the BPD came in and did the same thing. So my hope is to do a second hearing mm-hmm. and then identify where are the levers, right, that where are the things that we can influence in terms of policy and work alongside community to develop some policy recommendations that we can just hold the administration and the 
Boston Police Department accountable to those things. So if you've just tuned in, you're listening to WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station, and you're listening to at-large city councilor Julia Mejia. She is the current chair of the Education Committee. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton, uh, host and producer of Black Teachers Matter. We're going to continue this conversation, and I'm, I'm very thankful of your valuable time because you're swinging in like, you know, a superhero, and you've got so many things to juggle. Now, that's the hearing that was happening, and you're not going to let that go. But there's also another community hearing regarding the O'Brien. Tell yeah. us about that. Yeah. So first of all, and people who do know me know that when people call me, I show up. And so I really do want to thank you for the invitation because it just literally fell on our laps to be able to talk about this hearing. Um, there has been a few new developments since we last spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal, um, so it's the O'Brien um, they, they they are considering or exploring moving it over to West Roxbury. Which is an exam school, one of the three. Yeah, mm-hmm. One of the three, one of the only three, which is right now in Roxbury, which is, you know, where a lot of people say it belongs because I'm calling it school gentrification. You are displacing our students now by disrupting their learning and literally rooting them out of their community and sending them somewhere else, which is what it feels like for a lot of community who are opposed of the O'Brien moving to West Roxbury. So there's a lot of politics at play. And for me, and you know me, I'm always about let's put everything on the record. Let's talk about the process because if we're not having a community engagement, um, robust conversation, as they say these days, then we're not having one, period. So the goal of the hearing is to get a better understanding and an audit of the community engagement process. Now, also this um, hearing it's supposed to be in person. You're encouraging people yeah. to do it in person. So, so here's here is where the point of tension is right now. Is for me, I also want to do the hearing outside of city hall and mm. in community where it belongs. So we had it scheduled for the Bruce Bowling Building for October the 11th. Now, as you may know, the superintendent is not available, and we have been hearing that. Um, the community wants hybrid because some parents want to zoom in. There is no capacity for that, according to um, the administration. In the bowling building? Yeah, to do a hybrid model. Really? That's what I heard. And so what we've decided to do in the spirit of making sure that we honor community, right, we are postponing the hearing. It was supposed to happen tomorrow. But if we're not able to have it hybrid, if we're not getting a commitment from the superintendent. We want to allow her some grace, right? We're going to offer her an opportunity to give us some dates that would potentially work for her. And we are going to work with the Bruce Bowling Building or maybe the O'Brien to figure out how can we have it in a hybrid model so that we can have more parents. And because we weren't able to do that and get those logistics hammered out before the hearing, we decided to postpone it because I would rather do things right then do things in a way that's going to prevent people from being able to participate actively. So now how do people keep apprised of what's happening and get the notification, say if they're not on the email list or whatever? Yep. So we, um, for those who are following me, you can follow me at Julia for Boston. That's Julia F-O-R Boston on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and even TikTok, y'all. Um, and there you could find out, uh, you know, when we're going to reschedule it. And also, if you're interested, you can also email me directly at julia.mejia at boston.gov. So that's julia.mejia at boston.gov. Um, and just send us an email that you're interested in participating. But at the end of the day, you know, we decided to postpone it because we want to make sure that we get it right. And then it's also should be posted on the boston.gov website. Exactly. Right? But sometimes, you know, the, sometimes I forget that <laughs> I have other tools to work with and I just depend on my own tools to make sure that my people get educated because not everybody's going to go to the boston.gov website. But you're absolutely right. They can go there and 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 get plugged in. So I've got a few more moments with you and, and I'm trying to be very honorable of your time. Yeah. Um, so two quick things. One is... People may not know that you co-sponsored a legislation around reparations in Boston, and that's a national issue. Can you tell us what, where that is? Yeah, so we uh, sponsored and we actually passed 
uh, the study on reparations here in the city of Boston, which if anybody knows, Boston is known for being extremely racist. And the fact that we were able to establish a reparations task force is a big deal. And I made sure that the members of that task force were paid because oftentimes task force members Volunteer. are not. Right. So I felt like in, in the in the spirit of reparations that those who are doing the work should not bear the financial harm. So that passed and now it's in the process of going through their RFP and really trying to build the study out so that we can make sure that we learn and figure out what the policy recommendations are. Um, the other uh, piece of legislation that I worked alongside you um, was uh, passing the elected school committee, the home rule petition that successfully passed um, the city council but it died on arrival at uh, the mayor's desk because she did not sign it. She vetoed it. And so that was really disheartening, knowing the work that we put in. 99,000 people plus. More people voted for her for for that law. For um, More people voted for yes on three than they did for the mayor. 99,000 people voted in favor of it. More votes than she got. Elected. And yeah. she still um, vetoed it, which was really, you know, um, disheartening uh, for folks who were really uh, hoping to finally have more transparency um, in, in that space. So in the last few moments, because I'm being respectful of your time, um, talk to the people who will listen to your voice and see your face and know you but don't really know you about why they should vote for you. You know, I love my job. I am, I always say, you know, I've heard recently and I've been saying it everywhere that I go that I, I serve to live and I live to serve. Like, this is my purpose. I am so blessed that I get to fight for a living and that I get to stand up for my people. And I've always said I would rather lose and uplift my people than neglect them and win, right? So for me, it's not just about the seat. It is about building power and creating opportunities for people to recognize that their vote matters, that their voice is valuable. And we've been led to believe otherwise. So I just I just want people to recognize that power um, and, and to know that I'm not your, you know, people say I'm their voice, but I'm not. I'm not your voice. I'm your microphone. Mm -hmm. And I want to amplify, right? I want to create space for people to speak for themselves. And I think that most people come in thinking that they're going to speak on behalf of, I speak with, right? And I think that that is why you should consider voting for me on November the 7th, because I've been about the work. I live the work. Mm -hmm. For me, I didn't even learn about this in a textbook, right? I went, barely graduated from high school, ended up going to college. I don't have the polish or the pedigree or the pockets for that matter, but I have the heart. And that is the only thing that I need to make sure that I can keep doing my, my job. And I always say this, right? The people who put me here are the only ones that can take me out. I, don't, I didn't ask for political endorsements. I don't have those big pockets, but I have the people. And if the people want me and they want more of this, they're going to vote me in. And if they don't, then they don't. You know, this is, a, this is not about sitting this election out. There's a lot at stake. And I'm telling you, I am one of the last few standing that's going hard for the people that I serve. And we cannot afford to lose this voice on the city council because I'm not afraid to speak truth to power. I was born for it. Por favor, un mensaje para la gente en español. Yo soy una guerrera. Quiero mi comunidad como nunca pueden conseguir otra persona que peleen con, por ustedes como peleo yo, al lado de ustedes mano a mano, porque necesitamos tener representación. Tenemos más de 130 mil latinos que viven en la ciudad de Boston. 130 mil latinos. Y yo soy la única mujer hispana que representa la ciudad entera. Like, I'm the only Afro-Latina. I'm the only Latinx representation citywide in the city of Boston. And there are over 130,000 Latinos. So people need to understand this voice and this mouth. <laughs> I might have a, I'm a little Chihuahua <laughs> and I have no problem barking, but I deliver. I'm like the pit bull right now because right now, 15 pieces of legislation in three and a half years. And I've secured millions of dollars to support the social and financial well-being of my people. Like, I'm just getting started, y'all. Mm. And so I need people to recognize that we need more of this inside City Hall to keep everybody honest. Uh, muchísimas gracias. Yes. Uh -huh. Mi hermana, sí. 
Um, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for being my guest here um, at Large City Counselor, my friend, Mia Mana, Julia Mejia, and you're listening to WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio and podcast station. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. This is All Black Teachers Matter. All Teachers Matter. That's what people tell me. All Teachers Matter. No, but, but it's the black ones that are at stake. The All Teachers Won't Matter until Black Teachers Matter. That's right. We're going to have a station break. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Thank you, Julia Mejia. Thank you. Did you know you can listen to WBCA from anywhere in the world? To stream local music and news from your computer or smartphone, just go to WBCARadio.org. Sleep through your favorite radio show? Well, lucky for you, now you can listen to WBCA shows anytime as podcast versions at WBCA.podbean.com. That's wbca.podbean.com. You're listening to WBCA LP. 102.9 FM Boston. Boston's community radio station. Welcome back. I'm your host and producer and uh, of Black Teachers Matter. This is our premier broadcast of Black Teachers Matter radio broadcast and podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. And my next guest, before the break, before all the public service announcements, you heard another good friend of mine, at-large city counselor, Julia Mejia. And I have a lot of friends, you know. I think I'm like one degree separation. I'm better than than Kevin Bacon right now. Um, From so many important people here in Boston, in and around the country. And you will be hearing from a lot of them. Our next broadcast, Cablecast, podcast, will be Ruby Reyes from Texas, and she is the executive director of Boston Education Justice Alliance. My, The next voice that you hear is a good friend of mine, Ed Gaskin. He is the executive director of Greater Grove Hall Main Street. So we've got you in the studios with us at, at WBCA LP 102.9 FM, Boston's community radio station and podcast station. Um, you have pioneered this amazing event uh, Black Women Lead, which has resulted in uh, over 200. Let me look at this right now, because the banners that have come up, you've actually had over 400 names of Black women. And you thought about, and you've been covered now by several different TV stations and radio stations, which that's not us, so we're not going to talk about them. But in the last week, you've had over 200 banners go up in what you call the Honor Mile, which is honoring Black women in and around Boston and in history, and these beautiful, beautiful paintings we're going to see or or drawings, um, renderings that are on the. So if people are going down Blue Hill Avenue from West Cottage Street or up Blue Hill Avenue from West Cottage Street to beautiful what my friend used to call Uptown Grove Hall, you will see on both sides of the street depictions and the names and. Um, of, of women who have changed history, who became history and who changed history. Some of them will know because they're from Boston. Um, and then some of them that we, some of them, a lot of people don't know, but should know because they're members of history like Phyllis Wheatley. And then some people will know because they're old school. And so Muriel Snowden, um, Elma Lewis. And so my question to you, Ed Gaskin, first off, congratulations, because I think it's wonderful. And the fact that a black man did this for black women at this time when it seems like everything in the universe is trying to pit us against each other, especially in the United States, I think is an amazing accomplishment. I know that you it took you a while to do that and get the funding. And so we want to talk about the people that actually stepped up to give you the funding. But it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you even coming up with the idea and following it through. So my question to you, and we're going to talk about the great other great work you do at Grove Hall Main Streets, but I want to talk about this, the Black Women Lead. Where did you get this idea from? And what did it take to bring it to fruition these last two weeks? Um, <clears throat> so part of the inspiration from the project comes from the fact that my great, my grandmother, um, and my great aunt both graduated from college 
So if you can imagine being an African-American woman in America, graduating from college in 1929, wow. in 1934. Um, and so that helped me understand um, when things when you have those kind of opportunities then all the other generations so all the other all of her ancestors so my aunts and uncles all were college graduates and their names were <clears throat> you want to go through all my oh no 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 so Maxine two. Moss and Anna Moss okay so those were those two but I'm just saying so then so then my mother went to college and then all my uncles went to college and their wives went to college so but it just showed that so anyway so I was trying to do something in uh, memory of their honor for one um because of that whole legacy and what it actually demonstrated if we all had the same type of opportunities, because that means that basically every African-American could have done something like that mm. had we not had the kind of barriers that we did. And so now, but what did it, so the timing of this happening now, because I, I know you to be doing a lot of different things. And so you were working on it for how long before that actually happened? And what did it take for the Boston Patriots to actually come up with this money? I actually started the project in uh, 2019. Wow. Um, and I went to my board and I told them this was something I wanted to do. And my board does what they do, which I really appreciate. They said, well, if you think you can raise the money for it, then uh, have at it. And so uh, so we did. And um, we actually showed, I think, about 22 at, at, at a fundraiser. At that point, we are just doing a mock-up and we were showing them on the walls and uh, on they were just on paper. And there was an overwhelming response to it. So um, I, like many people, if I might uh, add this, um, did not know my black history or my black history concerning women or my history concerning black women. So when I would talk to people and I'd say, you know, who do you think we should feature? People roughly gave me the same 10 names every single time. So it'd be Melina Cass, Alma Lewis, uh, Sarah Ann Shaw, and they would get, they would run out by the time I got to 10. So I said, what if we did something really crazy and we try to do like a hundred, like, I don't even know if we can come up with a hundred women, but let's just say we try to do a hundred. <clears throat> and so in my thinking, I thought, well, if I used the last 300 years, going from the 1700s to the present, mm. then maybe we could get to 100. That's what I was thinking. Maybe. <laughs> so I didn't realize till after the fact, I said, geez, if we would have only picked one black woman to be like woman of the year for 300 years, I should have had at least 300, not 100. Right. And so it didn't start to dawn on me that there was a problem. So I got like to 120, then 140, and 60, and 80, and I said, oh my God, now do we try to reduce this back to 100 or do we try to go to 200? Mm -hmm. And that was um, not a decision I made lightly because uh, nobody wanted to fund the project in the first place, but it was 100. Um, so the perspective was is that um, foundations said, well, it's not really art, like public art. And they said it's not really – like you know, they think of public art, they think of murals and sculptures and pieces like that. And then when you talk about placemaking, they say, "Well, it's not really placemaking, and it's not really Black history. It's like we don't. What is this?" It's like, so wait a minute. You, so some people don't know what placemaking is. So you may have to want to tell our listeners, viewers. What is play? I know what it is, and you know what it is because we do community work. But tell people what it is. You know, like when you activate a space. So, like one year, for example, when we did the Grove Hall Plaza, that's the space that's between Flames Restaurant and the church next door. And so, I felt that um, just like this little parklet here, that I wanted to do the same thing they do in downtown Boston ah, okay. or Med Crossing or um, or Milk Street, right? So, I had a concert series there. So that would be placemaking. I made something okay. of that space, right, for the concert series for people to come. For that moment. Yes. So it wasn't, so they didn't really understand what this fit into. So basically everybody said no. And um, and what I, were some of the reasons why they said no? It's not important? No, because they just said, first of all, they didn't, it, it, wasn't, it didn't fit in any category. It wasn't sculpture, it wasn't art, it wasn't placemaking, like it wasn't anything. So they said, we don't even have a way to fund this. Uh -huh. And then it was a lot of money. And so it's kind of hard to explain why you should spend that kind of money celebrating black women when you could just put a list of the names of the women in a magazine article or something and just be done with it. 
So to actually say that you're going to do commissioned portraits, right? So you're going to hire artists and you're going to do every single portrait of these people so that they all have some consistent look and feel. And then you're going to, um, not, again, not just put it in an ad someplace. You're actually going to do the fabricating and printing of banners. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have them installed and you have to buy all the hardware to install it on the light poles because uh, some of the sections of town have them and some don't. Ours is one of the sections that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you go like, that's a lot of money. I don't think we want to honor black women that much. Like that's, oh, it's wow. sort of like, that's just like a lot of money because the product was well over $100,000. So, oh, okay. so it's expensive. And um, so I can, you can just see the resistance. It's like... Uh, well, I mean, but you can say the resistance, um, but then it's also the importance, is, which is what you started with to begin with, um, for those people who just tuned in, you're listening to Black Teachers Matter. This is our premier radio broadcast and podcast. My name is Sharon Hinton, and uh, my guest is Ed Gaskin, who is the executive director of Greater Grove Hall Main Streets. We're talking about Black Women Lead and this program, this project that he led in as a Black man. Can I can I out you like that? As a Black man for honoring Black women over a significant section of a street. Two um, miles. Two miles in the black community, in Grove Hall, a well-traversed area. and o- so Over 20,000 cars a day. Wow. A day, any day. So let me, I have to come back to the Black Teachers Matter part here because this is really key. So when I was trying to get the uh, nominations, you know, who should it be? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we eventually, you know, we put ballots at like, Freedom House and Grove Hall Library. We put something in the um, uh, Bay State banner, like who would you like to see, who do you want to nominate, whatever. So as word got out that we were doing this, um, it was the black teachers that said, we want this for the classroom. And their point was, is they felt that boys, black boys, had more role models than black girls. And so... Publicly in the media. Yeah, so they thought that... um, to sort of equalize it, they needed to, they needed more examples of all these women, right? Because you got black judges, lawyers, doctors, professors, like literally every presidents, thing, everything <laughs> that you can think of of black women, right? <clears throat> but they and to go back to your point, that's not the most common narrative either in black or white media of black women. Mm-hmm. And so I understood what they were saying. I thought that made sense. And then I worked with Mother Caroline Academy. In Grove Hall. In Grove Hall. And then so uh, I gave them lists of people. And then the students, um, by class, like the sixth grade did it, the seventh grade did it, eighth grade did it. And so by class, they came up with their own list. Mm. And so for whatever reason, for me, that was like a light bulb moment. I said, oh, my God, this is really cool because now they're learning about all these black women from Boston, different careers, black history, learning about resilience and obstacles and overcoming and things Courage like that. And, mm-hmm. and I said, oh, my God, like, this is fantastic. So at that point, that helped shape what the criteria was going to be in terms of who got selected. Because hmm. um, we said, basically, we need to make sure we have people from all walks of life. So that's why there's like three librarians. There's uh to hairdressers, there's Ma Dixon, like a restaurant owner, small business owner, but literally people from the military, because we wanted to show that whatever career path you pick, there's been a black woman that's already gone before you that has succeeded at that. And if they're even, because there's even a, a black woman football player on the list, you know, there's, uh, so the idea was, even if there isn't a black woman doing what you wanted to do, there's many examples of black women who've been the first, and you can be the first too. Oh, that's pro- wait, wait, wait. Say that again. There's many black women who have been the first and you can be one, too. So is there still space for people to be the first? I know Simone Biles is killing it. And like she's she has smashed categories, male, female, gender, race. She's the top gymnast ever now with all the medals. So is there still space for someone to be the first? Absolutely. Because you might found something that nobody's ever done before. Uh, you might be a, you might start your own company in some space. So um who knows? Maybe there's going to be for example, you know, if the woman that did the um COVID vaccine was in Boston, she might be one, right? But you <laughs> know what? This deep. I don't mean to cut you off in that, but I but the last week or so, the three I heard that when the COVID shot came out 
And so that was part of the narrative to get people of color, black people in particular, to take the COVID shot. But now the three Nobel Prize winners are, are white and there's no black. What, did, what happened to her? Well, you can't ask me a question like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, sure, I can. <laughs> but the, the point was that fundamentally shaped the project. So that's why in some categories, um, like elected officials. So there's a lot of black women in elected officials. Now, so, yeah. now. So we couldn't put them all in because if we put them all in, um, then we wouldn't be able to put some of the people in in some of the other categories. So in that case, we had to pick like representative samples, some of the people, but not all of the people. Or the first like Andrea Campbell, the first black woman attorney general. Yes, first black mayor. First Ayanna Pressley. Yes, first black woman congressman, first black U.S. attorney. So the first black woman to be in the Boston Symphony Orchestra, first black woman nurse, first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School. And so all those kind of people, yes. Um, and then the other thing in terms of selection, there were people who have their names on something. Mm-hmm. So the point being that it's not likely that um, our names are on buildings because we've donated a million or $10 million. It's more likely you did something in the community. So if you have somebody like Edna Bino who has a playground or like Mildred Haley mm-hmm. or Anna Cole or Frederica Williams or Rabina Guscott or um, – Patty Rayner, or um, in the name, the list goes on. So all these people, all these black women, Ma Dixon, uh, Bishop Nellie Arbrough, they all have stuff named after them in the city. And so meaning that you had to have done enough in your community in one way, shape, or form that you got your name on something, or you started a foundation, or there's a scholarship in your name. So uh, even like the Sportsman's Tennis Club, there's a championship named after Gloria Smith, right? So just all these things. So there's different ways that you could get selected, and that was like another criteria, again, because we felt it reflected the community's feelings. So mm-hmm. uh, Ellen Jackson, if you're from uh, Medco, her name's on a building, and so she's on the list. Like all those kind of things. So now when you um, – <laughs> I'm laughing because I know when you select people, then that means – and you have limited resources and limited space or whatever, money, um, and it costs money to put this up. Are these people – going to be added to or are they going to be replaced by say the second hundred people the second 200 people or are you just going to take up more Blue Hill Avenue like how does that go (laughs) well that's a great question so um so let me just explain the first part so I talked about the foundations that said no so when I went to the, the Kraft family I met with uh I met with Robert Kraft, or I met with the Kraft family. The first thing they said, was the project still available? Mm. So they were on the opposite end of the spectrum. They thought it was such a good project that they wanted to be a part of it. And uh, so, of course, course it's still available. And um, I think one of the things that I I share this story. So when I met with Robert Kraft, I had this proposal. I think it was probably two pages typed or whatever. It had all the people on it. And uh, he says to me, he says, "Um, you smelled Ruth Badson's name wrong. And I said, now, how does he know how to spell Ruth Benson? <laughs> I was like, I, I, I wouldn't have thought, you know, because obviously what I, what I know or don't know of, of uh, Robert Kraft. So and the I, Boston Patriots, right. I wouldn't have ever expected that. And in fact, uh, when I met with Josh Kraft, he's the one that suggested or nominated uh, Edna Bino. And I hadn't had a nomination from him yet. So I said, geez, that's kind of very detailed knowledge about the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but. They 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 liked the project. They sponsored it. They let me do several things that I was really pleased with. So um, I asked them, for example, um, because I know that uh, Robert Kraft is very protective of the Patriots brand. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, "Do you have to vet the names in terms of are they okay or whatever?" And uh, you know, Josh Kraft said, "No, um, we're not going to pick your leaders." Ooh. <laughs> so give him a gold star. <laughs> So I was sort of relieved to hear that. And then um, and then they didn't rush the project. It, like I said, it took a while. So it took a while to – we ended up with 600 nominations at the end. Wow. And uh, trying to read everybody's bio and vet it and balance things out and all the other kinds of things uh, to finally get there. But they, they never rushed. Um, when we were getting closer back in uh, April, May – they, of this year or 2022? Uh, of this year, they wanted. They said they would like to have had it up for um, when the NAACP convention came. And uh-huh. I, I knew that Robert Kraft was speaking at the convention, so I thought maybe that was the tie-in, but we weren't able to make that. And so 
Um, but they didn't, they didn't like push anything. They just told us what they wanted. And um, I am hoping to answer your question. I am hoping to do another 200. Uh, I have to raise the money for that. And um, I don't know if funders, because of the success of this project, they might feel differently about it. So they might be more willing to fund it next time. But there's clearly, clearly there's another 200 women. And people say, well, won't that deteriorate the quality, like the second mm -hmm. group? And so what that tells me is that they don't understand how many quality black women there are in this town. Mm. And it also tells me they don't know how many black women there are in history that we haven't recognized yet. So, for example, um, Sojourner Truth and Harriet Tugman, right? They're both people that are in Boston that have had stuff named after them, like the Harriet Tugman houses. That they're not on the list. Which was torn down, they didn't by the way. They didn't, make the, they didn't make the list of the first 200. So you're talking about there's people like that that we still haven't got to yet. And there's also um, Coretta Scott King, who actually met her husband, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King here, and because they, they both went to school here. Yeah. She went to New so, England Conservatory, so, and he went to BU. So the say another nomination on the list is uh, Malcolm X's wife. Right. Um, to put, you know, again, you know. And, like, and his, and his, uh, his uh, sister, Ella? Ella Collins. So there is a banner for Ella. So I she, saw that. So she made it. <laughs> I mean, there's also a, her house is still on Dale Street being renovated. Yes. So um, what I'm just saying is that there's a lot space. of black women that have, made a contribution to the betterment of Boston in the last 300 years. So we're not short of people for the next 200. I just need to get the money for it. Okay. Now, so will it go all the way down? Someone asked me, am I going to go all the way down to Little um, Avenue or down to, Mattapan. To Mattapan? I said, well, that's not my district, so I can't go that far. Or you could collaborate with the people whose district it is because one of the representatives, wasn't it um, Worrell, Christopher Rell, Chris Worrell? Or it was Chris and Brian because they're brothers and they're both elected officials. They were behind it too, right? So how Chris got involved was I was um, I didn't want to just put the banners up. So this was this was back in April, and I figured if I do a press conference or something, like I might have the mayor and eight people stand there. And I said that's really gonna that's not really doing us justice. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to do this event for these women, breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I said, I don't, I conceptually, I don't even know how I would have an event for 200 people and what I could possibly feed them and what space I would rent. And I said, for especially since I had no budget for that, the program was, the funding was just for the banners. And so um, eventually I came up with this idea of doing the brunch at the state house. So there was no room rental charge. And then I would just have to pay for the food. But still trying to pay for food for 212 people. It turned out to be 250 people. But it was a lot of people. Um, so I went to see the governor and uh, to ask her about support for this project. Governor project. Haley. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, to ask her support for this project. Um, and um, it was, I told Chris about it, Representative Worrell about it. And uh, he said, oh, we got you. We can do this. We got you. You know, we her, we know her people, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I was like, okay, <laughs> you got it, you got it. So Chris was helpful because um, uh, his uh, assistant, uh, legislative assistant, uh, chief of staff, Rebecca, helped handle all the RSVPs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they did all the letters of citation to all the honorees. Um, so they, any, any of the honorees got one from him and from his brother, Brian. Um, and, and Brian is... Brian Worrell, the uh, city council. City council, so, Boston city council. Yeah, so so they they helped with uh, that aspect. So they they basically made that <clears throat> that event a success. Uh, um, Representative Worrell helped get all the speakers for that day. So I think it was the speaker of the house, majority leader, the speaker members one was also there. Uh, lots of other politicians were floating through there that day. Again, pretty wise political choice if you want to be in a room of. 200 black women leaders in Boston. Um, so good, good feeding them. <laughs> good place to actually be. Uh, the, you know, we got the, uh, the local media came out. Um, you know, uh, Representative Warhol was able to get the MC. Uh, oh, so he was a key part of it too. He was a part of the getting the um, that brunch, that whole event to take place. So if you just tuned in, you are tuned into the premier broadcast and podcast of Black Teachers Matter. Here on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston, Boston's community radio station. I'm your host, Sharon Eaton Hinton, 
And my guest here is Ed Gaskin, who is the executive director of the Greater Grove Hall Main Streets. And we're talking about Black Women Lead and this amazing effort ongoing uh, based on this conversation that we're having. But it just recently went up, even after being um, germinated, inspired in 2019. We're currently in 2023 and counting. So we've got like a few more minutes um, and you know how this goes when we start talking. We could talk a dog off a meat wagon. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So there, there are a couple other questions. If someone wanted to find out more about this um, project and they don't live in Boston or in Dorchester, in the Grove Hall area, how do they get in contact with you? So right now, um, the easiest way might be we have a GoFundMe page up for the Black Women Lead Project. So the information exists there. We're going to work on modifying it and updating it. We're still trying to raise money for the project. Um, there's things that people have recommended that we'd like to do. Um, if people want to call me directly, they can find my uh, name and number, my email and my number on our website, Greater Grove Hall Main Street. Um, so that's easy enough. And what if they want to nominate someone so they can call you? Yep. Because the I think the whole impetus of this this program, this project that you did, is that there are so many unsung sheroes That's correct. that go unnoticed because for centuries, literally centuries, um, if you didn't have any direct contra- contact with some of these women, they went unnoticed and that they is, were integral. That is absolutely correct. Okay, but <clears throat> you did it. And so you as a black man have done this. What did Christopher Worrell, I mean, I know if we were in court, we'd have to say that's hearsay, but what did he say when you when you guys collaborated to do this? No, he just thought it was a great idea. So, so far, you know, we hope to collaborate on some other projects. And um, I appreciated his support because the the brunch that him and his brother sponsored would not have happened without their support. And it just made it meaningful for people in terms of, you know, they got an official citation and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, How has your perspective changed? Because you're the one that God inspired. I'll say God. I think you can say this on the podcast or the broadcast. It's my opinion. It's not necessarily the opinion of WBCA or any of the management or representatives. I'm just talking about me. Um, you, how has this changed you from its inception and from its inspiration in 2019 to actually seeing this come to fruition? And people on social media now are either standing next to their pictures and posting on a social media, and then that's catching fire so that people recognize some of these community sheroes or they're related to them and they're posting them on social media. Has that changed how you feel now about going from one woman every year from 300 years to all these people? So I, there's so many things I want to say in answer to that question. So I'm going to go really quick, bullet point. So one was I didn't appreciate both the level of uh, racism and sexism. Mm. So, for example, the woman that's one of the women that's uh, a dentist, she talked about how she graduated from tough medical school. But when she got out, she could only work as a hygienist for her classmates. And when there was an opening at where she worked, they put an ad in the paper looking for a new dentist. And it said at the end of the thing, in terms of what your job description was, male only. Oh, wow. To make sure that she knew that she couldn't apply for that job. So she ended up leaving and started a practice out of her home. Um, there's another woman. Uh, so, for example, um, hairdressers were very powerful because they didn't depend on any white money and they couldn't be fired. And so um, they were the people who supported a lot of the causes with the NAACP and stuff like that because they had the money and nobody was going to get rid of them. So and, anyway, also, and also people who had restaurants, black women who had restaurants were a lot of the staunch supporters throughout the South and the North when civil rights came because they were feeding a lot of the protesters and their money would also go into supporting, you know, bus riders or. Yeah. So this one woman, um, <clears throat> so she to this woman, she's a hairdresser. So she has her, that business. She has a line of beauty products that sold nationally. She has a hairdressing school. And so, so those are all the things that she did in terms of her, her business side. But when she went to vote, and at that point, you had to write down what your occupation was. And so what they wrote down her occupation was as wife. Oh, wow. <laughs> so They just ignored all that. They just ignored the whole thing. So, But you began to realize, like, geez, women have had to just come through a lot of stuff. Again, right now, you know, we have Title IX, we have this and that. So you don't think of it the same way. So you learn about that. You learn about all the different kinds of stuff. 
literally every woman would tell a story. So even if I was talking, I was reading the story about Olive Benson, the hairdresser. Thinking, okay, what's a modern hairdresser like Olive? How is she doing it? And you know, she had her her ways of finding it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just the civil rights people. And what you'd find is there was like a wide range of way people did things. So you might be someone like Doris Bland who helps lead the sit-ins at what's now Mother Carolina Academy for the Welfare Office. But you, there's another woman that was the, um, that was the black, a black, as a black woman, she led the Black Panther Party in Boston. Oh, wow. And then you would have someone like um, Gloria Smith, the co-founder of Sportsman's Tennis, and she thought her way of helping was by teaching these kids sports. So you realize that everybody sort of had the same goal, but they had different ways of doing it. And that was, that was appreciative. Now, in terms of... Uh, Going back to your your hat that you were wearing, one day the artist the artist that was a woman uh, told me that her daughter came and said, "Mommy, who are all these black women?" Mm-hmm. And uh, the banners they're talking about. Yeah, and she's designing them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't help but feel like the story in Joshua when they cross over and they stack the stones there for the generations, the monument, and it says. You know, what do these stones mean? For those of you who are unversed, this is a story in the Bible, Joshua. Okay, go ahead. So I felt like the banners are like a testimony about how this God has delivered mm. black women and did all these miraculous things, like walking through the Jordan River to get to where we are today. Wow. And so I, and so I can't also help but think of something like Hebrews 12. So when you see all these women on the light poles on both sides— for me, it just keeps saying there's a great cloud of witnesses. <laughs> These guys are all given a testimony in terms of how they made it over. Or, you know, in Timothy, when Paul talks about, I have fought the good fight. I finished my course, and I have to think of each and every one of these women saying, I fought the good fight, I made it over, like I'm a testament to the goodness of God. But wow. I don't want to preach on your show because you know, it's not a preaching. preaching show. Well, you know, maybe you are because that's what you're doing. But you know what? Every sermon has to come to an end. Oh! Is coming to an end, and I. So let me just say this. So okay, I, I, can, I consider this my Christoph. That's what I say. So Christoph mm-hmm. is a is an artist, and I this is my Christoph, uh, like because I blanketed the whole section with this artwork, and it honors black women. It does placemaking, right? Because people now want to come to Grove Hall to see all the banners. Um, and I think it's an example of public art, so it's a way to exemplify all the um, public artists. Uh, you know, this, this, the, the show with uh, Black Teachers Matter. So the children told me, what is it like to go to school? Remember, it's an all-girls school, right? What is it like, to, 10 seconds. Go what is it like <laughs> to go to school each day and walk past all those black women as you go to your classroom? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's inspiring for everybody. I've had people, residents, looking out the window say, you know what it means to me to be able to look out my window and see all these black women? That's awesome. Thank you so much. Ed Gaskin, Executive Director of Grove Hall, Greater Grove Hall Main Streets. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Sharon Hinton. I have been your host, your gracious host, on our first premier radio broadcast podcast of Black Teachers Matter. Um, that about wraps it up for our first edition here on WBCA LP 102.9, Boston's community radio station. Join us on our next episode when we talk with Mi Hermana, Ruby Reyes, Executive Director of the Boston Education Justice Alliance. Take care of yourselves and each other. The views and opinions are not necessarily those of WBCA, its management, its affiliates, or representatives. I am your host, Sharon Hinton, and uh, God bless and goodbye.